Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 3, Episode 21, The Die is Cast. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and as I say every single week, we you should find us and follow us because we are awesome, we're a good time, and you're going to get some great stuff out of us, and in particular tonight, you're going to get some great stuff out of us because I actually went back and rewatched this episode, and I heard something tonight that I don't think I've ever paid attention to ever in all the times I've watched this episode, and we're going to discuss it, and I think it's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of other people too, so stay tuned. Cool. All right. All right. So yeah, a little teaser for you, because I was really excited when I heard it, and I was like, I can't believe that I've skipped that all these years. Okay? So yeah, great episode uh, for us to be talking about tonight. Almost done with season three. Five more left. uh, Yeah, and some great stuff in these last few episodes of this season and moving into season four. Um, But of course, as always, before we jump into the episode tonight, love to check in. David, how have you been since the last time we spoke? Uh, I've been good. Uh, up to no good, I guess, at this point. Um, I guess I've been playing my new video game, Fire Emblem Engage. It's childish storytelling is a little un- unfortunate, but the gameplay's fun, so that's what matters. What is it? What game? It's called Fire Emblem Engage. So Fire Emblem is a series of games uh, that originated in Japan. That's a Nintendo game. The idea is you have these you have characters and they're on a grid like a almost like a chessboard, but you know it's like you're in a castle, you're fighting in the, on a field, and your characters have swords and lances and axes and magic, and they can attack each other. But you move all of your pieces in one go, and then all of the enemy moves, and then all you move, and it's a lot of fun. They've really uh, figured out how to make the gameplay really really work. Um, but the storyline this time around is really basic. The last game was fantastic. It was actually a really kind of mature, serious story. And this one, they were like, ah, let's tone down how serious it was. <laughs> let's make this one a little more just casual. Because uh, each game is its own, is it's set in its own storytelling, okay. uh, storyline. But anyway, don't want to go into too much detail. But anyway, it's fun. That's all I've really been doing this week has been playing that. Uh, my sister got a cat. <laughs> Okay. But she lives in North Carolina, and that's too far away. So my mom's visiting her this weekend, but I'll have to go some other time to meet the cat. <laughs> All the way there for the cat. Exactly. How about Sorry, you? What's I'm, up with you? I'm, I'm not a cat fan. So no. Uh, much to the <laughs> chagrin of my daughter, I'm not a cat fan. Um, uh, but no, this week has been um, pretty interesting uh, work-wise. Uh, a lot of different changes at work, which have now allowed me to... Um, work a little bit more independently. Um, and I also uh, got a slight raise. It's not the big oh, promotion thanks. thing that I've been kind of aiming towards, um, but 
it's a step in the right direction. So yeah. that was great. I mean, who's going to say no to more money? Obviously, no <laughs> way. Um, so that's great. And I'm hoping to be able to do a bit more this year, just kind of being out and about and doing things uh, than I have previously, uh, thanks to it. Other than that, I um, was doing a bit of reading and I've kind of introduced my daughter and well, kind of constricted her into helping me out with some um, uh, physical training stuff that I was, I've been doing. Uh, mainly it's, I hate running and I don't think that's a big secret. I hate running. I will work out and I'll go to the gym and I'll do all that stuff, but I just absolutely hate running. But she loves it. So yeah. I've kind of been using her. We'll go out to the park and we'll run sprints together or we'll play little, you know, tag games and whatever. And I kind of make sure she gets around the area so that I have a large area that I have to run in and things like that. So um been more tired. <laughs> for sure but <laughs> right. i've been in i have been enjoying it and i enjoy the time spending with her and doing those kinds of things and she loves it because she's a kid and she gets to run around completely free right. um now it's been colder lately so it's slightly put a damper on things because i was going early in the morning but now we just kind of wait until you know well after school and stuff and then you know she had her first school dance so that was a big event for her, and they were like, "Oh, parents, you can stay and watch your kid and whatever." She didn't. She didn't want me to stay. It's it's happening already. <laughs> I thought that it would be at least when she was in her teens that she wouldn't yeah. want her dad staying around. But no, here she is, all of seven, and being like, "Go, go!" <laughs> you know. Ah, so. I guess you're the uh, you're the old funny daddy at this point now, right? <laughs> well, to be honest, I think it's a comb- I honestly think it was a combination of that and. Me being me. And, and, and what I mean by that is, obviously, as you know, I'm a very large, tall man. And I, right. when we were doing this, they were like, oh, parents, you can stay. It's up in the gym. They got everything decorated and whatever else. So we walked into the gym. And I don't know why in my head I thought the gym was going to be bigger, but it's an elementary school. So why would it be? And we walked in and it was it was a small gym. And uh, they had chairs and stuff up there all all around for people to sit in and and, and whatever else. But I was the largest person in the room. Even the other parents who stayed in there, I mean, they were just they were just little, you know. And so here I am standing and I um, and we had been outside earlier. So I had my sunglasses on. I'm wearing my black jacket and everything else. And I'm standing there with sunglasses on in the gym and I'm towering over everybody. And I was like, I'm pretty sure and everybody was just like looking and like looking at her looking down you know this, this back and forth and and i so i could kind of get it i was like yeah you're and all the kids are just staring at me and and whatever else and i was just like i, I get it you know yeah i'm not supposed to be the center of attention in this situation so yeah i was like okay i'll i'll leave i'll get out of here so <laughs> But yeah, I think it was that, and then of course, yeah, just you know, I'm dad, and you know, dads don't, you know, you don't want your dad around when you're trying to dance with your friends and whatever else. So whatever, it's fine. I understood, wanted to have a good time, so I yeah. left. Um, but then that, yeah, pretty solid week overall, and hoping that the next one is more of the same. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Um, I am coming a bit, uh, coming along a bit more in reading of the book. Hopefully I can get, um, deep enough into it that for our next after dark, we'll be able to talk extensively and be able, and I want to watch some more of the episodes of the show. And then, um, I keep meaning to start 
The Last of Us. Haven't started it yet. Have you seen it? Have you watched it at all? I haven't. Um, I didn't ever play the games. I know the basic plot line of the games. I think I know all the like the like the twist at the end of the first game. I know what happens well, there. Well, don't tell yeah, me. I, I, don't, I don't know anything don't about know, it. You don't know anything. I, Good. All I know right, nothing I about it. it. Good. I, I'll I'll be curious to see what, if they follow it and you tell me what you think. Um, part of me is not sure if I want to watch it because I'm not a huge fan of horror in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like I watched The Walking Dead. You and I watched it together right about the time when it felt like it was just finally like it was going off the rails. It was just like yeah, I don't finish up already. <laughs> like, and is it is it finished? Like I thought I saw something. I think the about... final season was just recently. Like they did eleven seasons. Wow. Season seven, I think you and I were like, oh my gosh. Yeah. What's the, yeah, the guy who had the baseball bat? Negan. Like, Negan. Yeah, the Negan guy, and like. I don't know. Point is, I don't, I don't mind zombies in general, mm-hmm. um, but I don't necessarily go out of my way for that kind of content. So, for example, the show I started watching this week is called Counterpart. It has J.K. Simmons. It's okay. about the idea that like, there's this alternate universe that connects to ours in Berlin, and so the J.K. Simmons character suddenly is like tasked with like working with his alternate universe self which is cool because jk simmons is a fantastic actor and you can tell just by the demeanor who's who like the one from the alternate universe is a badass he's like a spy master type but in our universe he's just a pencil pusher and so the pencil pusher is more meek and mild while the uh, other guy is you know he's amazing yeah he's he's awesome he stands up straighter he curses regularly and the idea is is that 30 years in the past, there were these two timelines that suddenly started splitting apart. So this is the same guy, but at some point 30 years ago, they started splitting apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And the ramifications for that have, you know, what, what does that mean? Only three episodes in, but they've had two seasons on Stars, I think it was on. Yeah, okay. Um, so that's an interesting show. Um, I like I like sci-fi shows that take, like, that have a real good twist sort of, like, uh, sci-fi setting like for example the other show i just watched was um uh, severance i watched that while i was i had covid i watched all of season one in one sitting is really nine episodes and that one the idea is is that the characters when they go to work there's a chip in their brain that prevents them from remembering what their life is outside of work and when they go uh, out of work they forget what they did at work and so what are they doing at work you know there's some secrety stuff going on um, that's an interesting show. It has Adam Scott, who was on the Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I like shows like that. I, okay. I'm not saying I won't watch The Last of Us, because I do have HBO Max. Um, but it's not a show that I, I might wait till it's all out. Okay. And like, wait and like just binge a season of it. Um, so we'll see. I, I also want to see if people like it or not, because a lot of times video games transferred to film uh. or shows don't work but it seems like this is one that's so far working so yeah preaching the choir on that one i mean that's why i stopped watching halo was you know the (laughs) the terribleness that they did to that series and so that's what was giving me some hesitation as well about the last of us because i did not want to watch the show and then find out that it was you know just a horrible bastardization of the source material now it might 
benefit me because I've never played the game. I've never seen anything about the game. So I might actually enjoy the show. Um, from what I have seen of reviews and everything else, there the people who seem to really know the material have been praising the show, saying how good right. it is. So yeah. I'm hoping that that means that they did a great job on the adaptation. Even there's been some, some nice articles out there about it, how, how true to the source material for this adaptation they are. Um, so, and that was kind of the big fear that HBO had about adapting a video game to a live action, um, series, but they seem to have, or at least according to the reports, they seem to have taken care of that. So I'm right. cautiously optimistic. Um, I think I'm going to wait at least until there is three or four episodes out and then I'll watch it. That way I can get enough of it to, to you know, kind of form of opinion. Yeah. yeah. Versus how I kind of jumped wholeheartedly into Halo and kept watching it, <laughs> hoping it was going to get better, and it just got worse every episode. So, um, yeah, we're not paid to endorse any particular show at all. I mean, heck, I, I kind of wish we were, but we're we're not. But I will say this: don't watch Halo if you're a fan of the Halo series. If you played the games, if you if you came up with it like I did, um, don't don't watch it. It'll just yeah. make you sad. Um, but. <sighs> As always, we are not here to talk about Halo and The Last of Us and all the rest of it. We are here to talk about the Dias cast, this great Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode. Yeah. Yep. Now, would you like to give the recap of the episode for our uh, folks, or do you want me to do it? Go for it. Again, this is a heavy right. Odo episode, and it's yes. too important for me to screw it up. We need to have the expert do it. <laughs> <laughs> So, going to be real quick here because there's a lot I want to talk about and I want to get into it. And um, basically, this is the um, second part of the last episode that we watched. And um, even though it doesn't say part two from Improbable Cause, it's Dias Cast. This is the only episode in Trek that was ever a two-parter that was not uh, named part that one, way. Part one, yeah. Right. No part one, part two. Right. Um, but this one basically starts us off with kind of giving us our own little summation. We know that Garrick and Odo are effectively missing. That um, Garrick has joined back up with his old uh, spy master in Auburn Kane, and that Tane <laughs> has launched a plan to wipe out the founders. In this episode, right. we find out exactly what that plan is, that the the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order have joined forces, created these ships with uh, weapons and cloaking devices and everything else, and based upon the reports that the Romulans got from uh, Starfleet, in particular, in particular the Deep Space Nine crew, they know where the Founder's homeworld is. And the right. plan is to basically sneak up on the homeworld and blast it to bits. Right Now, Odo has effectively been turned into a prisoner and and Tane believes that Odo despite his openness in his communication through his uh, reports to the Federation he still believes that Odo may be holding on to some information which may prove pertinent to their mission so he is now tasked um, Garrick with torturing and questioning I should say uh, Odo to get this right. information now, Garrick is a little bit hesitant at first, but he recognizes that if he does not do this thing, then an Auburn Tane is never going to trust him. And that really seems to be Garrick's whole MO right now. He really wants Tane to trust him and believe in him again. Right. Um, now, back on Deep Space Nine, 
a message from an Auburn Tain has been that was broadcast to both the Romulan and the Cardassian people has been intercepted and delivered to the Federation, and they now know Tain's plan as well. Um, there's a new admiral that's uh, floating around, Admiral uh, Todman, who relays his information to uh, Cisco and company and telling them what Tane's plan is. And he says that, you know, if the mission is successful, Bajor could be at um, in, in danger of some last ditch strikes by the failing Dominion if they fall. He tells Cisco to stay put on Deep Space Nine, keep the Defiant at the ready, so that in the event something happens, they can respond. Cisco's pretty much like, "Yeah, screw that, not gonna do that. I'm gonna go and get my missing officer." They right. he, he asks some people to volunteer for the mission, and of course, everybody volunteers because they're all a bunch of badasses. And right. so they get on board the Defiant with this new security officer, um, Eddington, in yeah. tow. They get on board the Defiant, they go into the uh, uh, Gamma Quadrant, and just as they're starting to make their way towards the Founder's homeworld, all of a sudden the ship decloaks. Turns out that the cloaking device has been sabotaged by none other than Security Officer Eddington. Eddington is now reveals that he has been following orders directly from Admiral Todman, which were to keep Cisco and the Defiant in the Alpha Quadrant protecting Bajor. So he's like, I, I didn't, I, I, I don't mean to upset you, Commander Cisco, whatever, but I had to do this. I was under orders. Cisco's and angry. Now the, and now that the uh, the cloaking device is down, this forces us to return to Deep Space Nine. Right. But because Cisco, they couldn't, they couldn't sneak through the enemy forces as they had planned. Right. But Cisco's, but Cisco's like, like, screw that, no. <laughs> right. O'Brien, you can fix it. O'Brien's like, it's gonna take ten hours to fix. He's like, yeah, you got two. So off O'Brien goes, pretty pretty steamed. Um, they keep Eddington at his post because if they run into armies there or, or any engagement, they're going to need a security officer. So he stays at his post. O'Brien is eventually able to fix the um, cloaking device. I think it takes him four hours to do. He fixes it, and now they're able to cloak and head back out looking for Odo and Garrick and the runabout. Meanwhile, at this point, Garrick has revealed, or no, Tane has revealed that the Obsidian Order has concocted a device which will stop Odo from being able to shapeshift. This is the device that he gives to Garrick, who then uses it to torture Odo, because as we know, Odo must revert to his gelatinous state every, I think it's like 16 hours. Right. And he's right at the end of that cycle when they turn this device on, and basically they tell him, if you don't give us something you're never going to be able to revert. So what's going to happen to you? So no one knows. Even Oda doesn't know what happens to a changing if he can't revert to his gelatinous state. Right. Well, through these intervening hours, we find out. He basically starts falling apart, and he's yeah. dying. He looks terrible. But he's not giving in to what Garrick wants. Until finally, when the pain is too great, he admits that the thing that he held back from his reports was that he really wanted to rejoined the Great Link. Despite what he said, and despite telling them no, they were still his people, that's where he, he knew he belonged with, and he had a, uh, still had a very intense urge to uh, rejoin them. Garrick turns the device off, Odo falls into a puddle, and Garrick seems to look really distraught over what he has just done. Right. He relays to Tane and the Romulan officer, Colonel Lovak, or Lovak, I think is his name, who's with him, that Odo never broke, even though he did. And then he 
Tane wants to kill Odo. Garrick makes a case to save him. Uh, Lovok agrees. So they agree to just keep him as a prisoner for now. They arrive at the Founder's homeworld. They scan. They see that it's full of found. It's full of changelings. So they start their orbital bombardment. The plan is in the first hour to decimate the surface, and then in the next five hours, the planet should split in two. They start the orbital bombardment, but lo and behold, there's no change. The planet doesn't really seem to be breaking up, and the life signs on the planet haven't changed at all. So they're like, what's going on? Garrick reveals that they're using a false device to give them false readings, that the planet's been deserted, it's a trap. And all of a sudden, from deep inside the Omaria Nebula come 150 strong Jem'Hadar ships, which just light up the Obsidian Order and Talshiar forces. Um, They try to put up a fight, but it's it's not working. They're just getting just demolished. Um, Garrick beats a hasty retreat. He attempts to free Odo. They begin to make their way out when all of a sudden Lovok steps forward and gives them the keys that they need to get to the runabout and get off the ship. Garrick's like, why are you helping us? Or no, Odo's asking, why are you helping us? And it's revealed that Lovok is a changeling. And that that's how they knew about the plan. That right. even though Tane came up with it, the founders co-opted it in order to wipe out the Tal Shiar and the Obsidian Order because they saw them both as a threat. But now that they've both been effectively eliminated, the only people that stand in the way of the of the Dominion taking over the Alpha Quadrant are the Klingons and the Federation. Federation. And they, and they yeah. don't believe that they're going to be much of a threat. So, Garrick and Odo attempt to leave on the runabout Garrick goes back to try to save Tane. Tane is completely lost it. He is yeah. lost in his defeat. He doesn't understand what's going on. He just seems to really have just checked out. Right. He's refusing to leave the bridge of the ship, though, even though Garrick is begging him. Odo arrives, knocks uh, Garrick yeah, over the head, pulls him onto the runabout, and they uh, attempt to flee. But, of course, they're being shot at by all the other ships and everything else in the area. When lo and behold, just as their shields drop and they've got no more defense, the Defiant arrives. She decloaks, she blows up a couple of ships, she beams them aboard, and I'm assuming they just left the runabout behind to be destroyed because <laughs> they yeah. we don't hear anything else about it. It's just beam them up, runabout's there, it gets blown up, I'm assuming, and then they're back on, uh, they head back to the station. And back on the station, just as the episode is about to end, you know, Garrick is seen kind of picking up the pieces of his shop, and we are left to assume he's going to reestablish his tailor shop, and Odo um, establishes that he and Garrick are going to start having breakfast together. And even though Odo doesn't eat. Even though Odo doesn't eat. So that is essentially it. That is essentially the episode. And there are some great things in there that we're going to talk about. Um, but yeah, that's it. And if you... Want to know more? Go watch the episode. You can watch it all exclusively on Paramount Plus right now. Um, every single episode, you can go and, and enjoy that and then come back and listen to us. Whatever you want to do. But I, I strongly suggest it because it's a great show and you're going to love it. But, David, first time watching this episode. What did you think? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I can see if you're... If the, what I was reading online is like this episode truly is a turning point in the storytelling of these space nine in terms mm-hmm. of whatever, whatever comes after this is important in that. I mean, the die is cast is a great title. If that's true. Um, I a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. It is a, 
what's it, a linchpin, a pivotal moment. This, this is it. This is what I was talking about. This is the beginnings of that overarching story of Deep Space Nine, where they've laid that foundation right here. It starts here. So yeah, Diet gotcha. is Cast is a perfect title for this. Got it. Yeah, we learn a lot about Odo. We learn, well, this is a lot necessarily. We learn about Odo, what happens when he can't transform. He becomes this death, deathly creature. I mean, he looked horrifying. He looks um, awful. He the looked makeup was, awful. Yeah, they like made his like gaunt, like his his cheeks had like the those that gaunt teeth like look to them. He was black mm-hmm. and he was peeling away. Um, he looked awful, and you know. <laughs> The idea that Garrick used to enjoy torturing people, but he doesn't enjoy torturing Odo, you get the sense that Garrick has been changed by his experience on Deep Space Nine and, and by knowing yeah. people who are not Cardassians and being away from the Cardassian way of life. Um, whereas, you know, and Auburn Tain was just bragging about how even, you know, his stare was enough to get people to confess. His now, eyes. His eyes. Yeah. Uh, this time, Garrick really doesn't want to torture Odo, but does, but regrets it immediately. And, um, I mean, let me put it bluntly. I think Garrick is smart and knows that there was no way for him to ever get out of the situation without doing anything and everything that an opportunity asked of him. Yes. He, he was saving Absolutely. his own skin Absolutely. more than let's say torturing Odo. Um, and he even says so. He even says, you know, um, we all know that I have to do this because you would never trust me. Right. That's what he says. That you would yeah. you wouldn't trust me. So despite his seeming aversion, which flies in the face of what he was saying earlier, because he he directly tells Odo, "Oh, you know what makes you think? You know we're we were friends. We I never swore an oath of allegiance to you or to Cisco or to the Federation or to Bajor or to anybody. I was just there on the station. You know. Right. I um, mean, he gives a very he points it out like. We just kind of assumed because, yes, he was on the station. Yes, he ate with Dr. Bashir and seemed helpful at times throughout the story that we've watched so far. He seemed rather helpful. But if you think about it, all the help that he ever gave was incredibly self-serving. Yeah, it was it to preserve ever... his own life or to elevate his status a little bit. It was exactly. never out of any sense of honor or goodness. Yes, any self-sacrifice that he might have been putting out there was not truly you know, self-sacrifice. It was, you know, as you just said, self and self-serving at the core on some level. Um, even like that episode, I think it was like season one or two, but like that one goal or not. Anyway, there's that one guy who like, he shoots, um, he's the, the Cardassian students are trying to escape. And then one guy, the one Cardassian is chasing them and he shoots the guy and he shoots the guy more out of spite, like he hated the guy and he didn't like him, not because he was trying to defend anybody. <laughs> right. Anyway, so um, yeah, the uh, I, I I do have to say that I thought the whole plot about going and trying to blow up the founder's planet. I mean, the the obvious. Let me put it this way: the most likely scenario is that it was going to fail because these aren't our heroes. It's not an Auburn Tane is not our our crew and therefore for him to have success would on some level not quite work right because we want our team to be the one who's successful and we also right. want our team to be successful on the diplomatic end right not on a so devastating th- genocide 
Exactly, exactly. So on some level, you have to expect that they're going to fail. But then you also have to think about if the changelings are able, as we've seen, to completely mimic another person, then you have to imagine that they have someone planted amongst an Aubertain's crew, that there is someone. One of who... them. One of them. I mean, it's... that was the, that's what I thought, too. I was like, they, you are the Obsidian Order and you are the Tal Shiar. We both know that you're intelligence-gathering um, agencies. Right. To think that a, a group of people who have presented themselves as so overwhelmingly dominant <laughs> that they don't have an informant somewhere in right. one of your ranks or in both, I thought right. was ridiculous. Right. And, you know, and Tane even says, he's like, at the end, he's like, I, I never, I would have seen this years ago. These, right. these shapeshifters, these founders are more devious. We should be more careful. You know, those right. are his last words. Yeah, next time we need to next, do this or do that. As mm -hmm. he's sitting on the bridge, as his ship is blowing up around him. It was a great moment. Him, him having was. a mental breakdown at the last moment was great. Um, I, I imagine the character is no longer going to be seen again because he would seemingly have died here. But um, I guess we can always leave open the chance that, you know, if they never die on screen, right? If they don't I die think, on screen. I think, I think that's the cardinal rule. <laughs> if we don't see him die on screen, then and it even didn't, then, ha it didn't really happen. Future technology to bring them back. But anyway, right. yeah, um, I, I did expect that s someone would reveal themselves to be a changeling. I ne didn't necessarily expect it to be this Kovac Romulan guy because he was only introduced in this episode. Uh, I felt like, I don't know, what something a, else was going to be done. Uh, but, but what a great character, though. I mean, I really liked him. I really yeah, liked him. Like, I don't like the and moment that he first stepped on. He he was great to me. He was a fantastic yeah. Romulan. He looked the part. Like I'm sad the character's gone because he looked the part. He played the part. Like the changeling playing this person, this Romulan, was spectacular. Of course, yeah. it also brings up the question: Did they kill someone who was this character, and then they took his form and replaced him, or did they somehow were they able to introduce a whole new? officer on some level and convince the Romulans to accept him. I mean, they must have killed some previous version of the guy, hid his body, and then, like, invasion of the body snatchers. You know, this is that's what's going on. Um, but anyway, we don't get that question answered. We just know that he's a changeling. But yeah, he was an interesting character. The moment when he and Garrick have a face-to-face -face kind of confrontation where uh, Garrick, uh, he, he says, you, you are experienced at lying, but I'm experienced at observing people. And mm -hmm. I've observed you, and I know you're lying, or you're you're yeah. You, he you says a, he says you, you, like are a, you are yeah. an experienced liar, but I'm an experienced observer, and right. I will be observing you With in the Odo. future or something like yeah. that. Yeah, along those which lines. Is, which is a great line because it actually works both ways. Like you first think he's a Romulan saying that, and of course Romulans are very tactical, mm -hmm. all that jazz. And he even plays that up too, like the whole the whole bit about we need to keep Odo alive because we need to. Uh, like study, study him. him on Romulus, um, but like he, um, when you find out that his line about watching and observing people actually also has a double meaning in that he's a changeling and therefore he is has to observe people to be able to you know mimic them. Uh, yeah, it actually works on two levels. So actually, it's a great great scene there when you think back on it. Um, I did think the whole bit about Cisco like defying orders and everyone else jumping in and and the security officer planting some sort of device that turned the cloaking device off like I thought all of that was very contrived in order to like make them in order to get them there on time you know mm -hmm. not too early 
You know, because they go to warp eight. Right. Not too late. They're they're just in time. Like it was a little bit ham hammy. Cause like, all right, we got to get Cisco and the crew there. We can't just let them sit at the station and be you know twiddling their thumbs. We got to have some action. And to be very fair, that last part of the episode, the the space battle, fantastic. Like I was waiting for a space battle the whole episode. I was like, this whole thing is supposed to be about a space battle. Why don't I have a space battle yet? And then it's at the very end, of course, at the climax. Um. So yeah, it was. It was great. Uh, I yeah again the whole idea that the character would sabotage the cloaking device, but only after they've already left Deep Space Nine. I mean, not that he like had already he'd already done it, but it only takes effect after they're in the Gamma Quadrant. It it's reveals true. them because they come out of cloak, so that's actually dangerous. Like they're stopping someone from doing something, and then there's you know, like if you were trying to stop a ship, you don't plug up you know punch a hole in the in the in the ship let it take on water and say you've accomplished your mission like that would seem to be a little too much but anyway point is um i thought that was a little bit much but i do love that final line where toddman the admiral says if you ever do that again i'm either going to court martial you or promote you and either way <laughs> you're going to be in trouble <laughs> yeah great line i think it was a little bit too much kind of forcing all of the like the plot elements to get to that great line but it was still a great line uh, so I'll, I'll I'll let a lot of it slide, um, and it's a play yeah, up yeah. a lot of some of a lot of things that you see in in Trek in the past of officers who kind of go rogue before the right reasons, and then in yeah. the end, it's just exactly. like you were we you disobeyed orders, but the end result was a net gain for the Federation. So right. we're gonna we're gonna skip over the court martial yeah. part. To be very fair, if Cisco hadn't gone and the Defiant hadn't been there to witness the absolute destruction of the Cardassian uh, Romulan fleet, there is presumably there would have been no survivors, and they would have just been a black hole that these these ships went into the wormhole and were never seen again. <laughs> right. But now we have information that, yeah, Odo and yeah. Garrett can tell us what happened. And that's very true too. Right, the the Defiant showing up and and witnessing what they you know the destruction of the Obsidian Order and the Tau Shiar. It also gave them a chance to really reassess the threat that the Dominion posed. Because remember, when Todman first reveals to everybody the plan that Anabrantane had, because you know they had intercepted the communique. You know, even Todman was saying their plan has a very good chance of succeeding. So everybody was kind of betting on this combined coalition to succeed and to eliminate the Dominion threat. Now, all of a sudden, we have valuable intel and scans of the Dominion and their true power. We right. didn't know exactly how many ships that they were operating with, but now we know they have at least 150 not too far away from the wormhole. Yeah. So so we know a whole lot more now thanks to Cisco going and saving Odo and Garrick. And um yeah, I mean I think that's why again it kind of looks at looks at it as you saved your officers, sure, but you also gave us valuable intel about a new threat that's just on our, you know, back doorstep here. So yeah, that's another reason why they might have been like, let's overlook this because Cisco is in the prime position to be their point man on this in right. the future. So and now he's got he's got a great ship, he's got a great crew, and he's got all these people now who have this knowledge and experience that no one else in the fleet has yet. Right. So yeah, a lot of yeah. great stuff that came out of him disobeying the order. Um, yeah, I really wish that instead of him disobeying the order, I wish he had just challenged the Admiral. Like he does, but the Admiral just shuts him down. He's like, I'm going rogue. 
Um, I wish instead he had just challenged the Admiral and said, hey, look, we, we got a, I have, I have a cloaked ship, so that I have a reasonable expectation that I can get in there and just observe what's going on and hopefully rescue my officer. Uh, if we let them do this without any knowledge on our end, we have no reason to expect they're ever going to you know, share any information with us. They've already right. cut us out. They even tried blowing up the station at one point. We have to know what's happening. I wish he had just made a pitch about going as opposed to everything else. And then I'm fine even with the cloaking device failing and O'Brien having to fix it on the fly. Uh, I just felt like the – like, let me put it this way. I never trusted this new security officer. Yeah, it's like, no. I mean, Nothing the camera about always, him. I mean, the camera always did a good job of always putting him in the middle of the scene whenever the – like, oh, Yeah, kind of give it, give it away. Gave yeah, it like, away. Hey. Yeah, exactly. So anyway um, – and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they were wrong to do that. I'm just saying that because they were making sure to signal those things to us, it also meant that the reveals weren't always as, you know, compelling. Anyway, um, so yeah, this was a, a fun episode. Action, and I'm glad there was action because I feel like Deep Space Nine should have more action, but it seems to miss out on some of that. But this one definitely gave us a good bit of it. Uh, and, like, yeah, we got to see some Romulans you know, trying to fight, you know, like we're on the Romulan bridge. That's pretty, that's yeah. pretty new as far as I know. Yeah. I mean, so. get to see a Romulan set Romulan Romulans up close Romulan clothing, which is just terrible. But um, <laughs> yeah. And then again, I love those eyebrows though, those upward going eyebrows. That's such a brilliant it's, idea. Yeah, cause it's like, I mean, it's, it's Vulcan and yet there's the more prominent brow ridge and they've got, you know, an extra bit, little extra bit on their foreheads as well along with the pointed ears and everything else they look more more severe more hawkish you know mm -hmm. which fits mm -hmm. their overall demeanor you know yes and yeah. um uh real quick the actor who played uh Lobach was leland orser who is actually a pretty famous um character actor you've probably seen him in just about anything you could think of in the past 30 years. I knew yeah. that um, the voice sounded familiar, and I just took the second to look him up. He was on ER. Of course he was. Um, <laughs> of course he was. Uh, he was on a bunch of other shows. I mean, you know, again, ER, CSI, Law & Order, X-Files, um, just name it. He was in The Bone Collector with Denzel Washington, Pearl Harbor. Uh, yeah, he's He's a prolific character actor for sure. Right. He's still very much active, so I wouldn't be surprised if he pops up in some more things um, as well. But yeah, and yeah. again, he played this character so well that even when he first stepped into the scene and began delivering his lines, like he, his first thing he talks about is, you know, Garrick and denying him access to the bridge. And um, I, I've instantly found him compelling. I wanted to know more about Lovak and what he was up to and what he was going to be yes. doing and um i was i was sad that we didn't get more of him and then even when he was revealed to be a changeling i thought that added even more to him and i would yes. love to have seen more of him as changeling in disguise and yes. like maybe a little after or aside once you know yeah. Odo escapes and I, maybe a message pops up from mobok talking about you know um you know, giving a, a new thing about how they've defeated the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar and their next move is, you know, kind of giving a, another threat out there to the Federation as they're sneaking back through the yeah, uh, wormhole. It'd be fun. I mean, I know this might kind of undermine the whole idea of the Changelings being able to perfectly replicate whatever they want. But if he was like an actor who we would see in the future, like 
oh, that's the same changeling as, as Luvok, because it's the same actor playing him, but he's dressed as a Cardassian. He looks like a, a human, and he looks like a this or that. Um, but whenever we get close enough to like examine him, oh, wait a minute, he has the same features as the one guy we know uh, was, a, was a changeling. But again, that might undermine the whole changelings can change to whatever they want aspect. But yeah, I, I, I liked... I liked the character. Yeah. It was only on screen for way too brief Way time. too short. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I would also say the reason he was compelling too is because he was a, a pretty great Romulan. In terms of the Romulans are compelling characters. And he was a perfect example of what that is. He didn't come off as the asshole version of a Romulan that sometimes the Romulans come off as. as just straight up dicks. You know, just jerks. This guy had a point. Like, we need to study Odo. Everything I do is for the Romulan, for the purpose of the Romulan Empire. Like he actually seemed like right. a legit, right? Not you know he, he came off more Vulcan, I guess I would say. Well, uh, in terms of his I, Romulanness. Well, I, I think you're. I, I wouldn't even say that. I would just say that he made sense because the things that he said, if you think about it, all made sense from the position that he was in. He, like you said, he wanted to study Odo. Well, why wouldn't you? Odo is, uh, he's the enemy, regardless of his affiliation with the founders, he's still an enemy because he works for Starfleet. Right. So he's got intel one way or another. Either he's got information on the founders or he's got information on Starfleet that we can get. Plus, as a changeling, he does have abilities that they would want to uh, explore and maybe even exploit if they could. So that's going right. to need study. Um, right. His, his yeah. suspicion of Garrick. Why not? Just because right. Garrick is another Cardassian doesn't mean that the Romulans have any reason to trust him over anybody else, and right. they don't know they don't know anything about him. So restricting his movements, watching him, keeping him under this suspicion again made total sense. And so, like for me, yeah. watching it, I was agreeing with him because I was like, I would have done the same thing. Here's an unknown entity that's coming onto my ship. I've begrudgingly got to work with Anabra and Tain, and now Tain's so-called trusted friend and advisor is now on my ship another unknown element so yeah i'm restricting your access i, I probably would have stuck a guard on him and there's just no way i would have let him have free reign on right. my ship so yeah. it makes it all made sense to me and i think yeah. that's why i liked him so much because everything he yes. said i was like i would have done the exact same thing Until and then when he's the moment yeah, he's, he's revealed, revealed to be the changeling. Right. I fully expected him to just be another Romulan. Exactly right. right. There was never any indication. Like, if I just said that the security officer guy, like, they, they advertised ahead of time that he was going to be, you know, uh, sabotaging stuff. At no point did they advertise that this guy was actually right. a changeling. Even though I suspected that that was going to be what was going to happen. Um, I thought the way it was playing out that they were going to say, oh, yeah, some someone who we're not going to reveal – you know, he's like the, maybe that Cardassian in the last episode who was all in shadow. Maybe he's the one who's actually a changeling oh, or something. Yeah, but, okay. Um, but when they said, oh, oh, it's this guy who you've seen only this episode, but he was a fantastic character from the get go. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. So uh, overall, yeah. so overall, we're going to say this was a great episode, right? Yes. We're going to, we're going to solidify this here. Great episode uh, of this show. And again, Definitely a pivotal moment for the things that are getting ready to come. The next few episodes, uh, if I remember them correctly, don't necessarily play into the 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 theme of the show so much. But this one certainly does. This was definitely 
one you can't miss if you've never watched a show before and you're trying to get into season four or whatever it is and you're trying to like skip around. I don't know why anybody would do that, but just in case, you should definitely watch this episode. The next episode that we're going to be watching features our favorite family, the Cisco's, and so I can't wait for that. But um, <laughs> we'll we'll get to that next it's week. Been a little while since we've seen Jake. Actually, I know. But... Um, lots, lots of changes in store. Uh, Jake has Jake's gotten older. You know, so uh, okay. lots of fun there. But before we <laughs> jump into next week, there is one thing, because I, as I teased in the beginning of tonight, there's one thing that has been criminally overlooked, but it explains so much about all of Star Trek, and it's in this episode, and I wanted to talk about it, okay? And it's okay. actually at the very beginning of this episode, okay? So, to, to clue you in, at the very beginning of this episode, O'Brien and Bashir are having lunch. Now, remember that Bashir is used to having lunch with Garrick, and they would frequently yes. talk and exchange various ideas and cultural points and, and so forth, right? Right. In fact, that's what we saw them doing in uh, Improbable <coughs> Cause. Yeah, and even that's what B Bashir is doing in this very moment, is he's complaining yes. that human uh, composers don't seem to be interested in doing their own unique individual original work, but just recreating other aliens work, but keep going. That's exactly what I want to talk about. You, you spoiled yeah. it. You, that's oh. exactly what I want to talk about. You, you absolutely spoiled it. So, uh, so Bashir, and, and this is why it's important. Bashir is doing exactly that. He is talking about how, uh, it seems like human, um, playwrights, authors, artists, creators in general have seemingly stopped creating original works of their own and instead have spent an inordinate amount of time adapting or reinterpreting works from alien artists and writers and playwrights and so forth. And he's criticizing it. He's saying, think about the work that's come out of, he says, you know, think about the work that's come out of Earth in the past um, hundred years, it really has been a derivative retelling of whatever stories from, and he cites a couple of people, you know, and from different right. alien cultures. And it's like, basically, human creativity is on the decline. And now, why I thought this was so significant and so important is, think about all of the other treks that you've watched. Next Generation, Voyager, even the original series, they're all guilty of this. And it's, one, whenever they're watching something or listening to something or reading something, whatever, and it seems to be Earth-based, it always seems to stop at a particular time period. Like, there's a seems to be a weird fascination with Shakespeare, Sherlock Holmes, classical music, you know, Mozart, Bizet, uh, Chopin, things like that, right? Which, not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but this statement by Bashir seems to clue in that it seems like the desire to create new and original human works has been on the decline and almost going the way of the dodo after a while, right? Yeah. And so it seems like there's more interest in alien stories, alien culture, alien things. And so humanity has stopped producing its own stuff and is leaning more towards this, which is why when they make references on these shows, it's either something from that classical Earth period, which for them would be you know, thousand years ago or whatever. Right. Um, and they always throw in another reference, which is typically an alien reference. And I have, 
in all my years, I've heard people talk about this, and they're like, why do they do that? And of course, we know out of universe, the reason that they use things like Mozart is because it's free use stuff now. It's all public domain <laughs> stuff, and it's they don't have to pay yes. for it. We know that. Right. But this was a great little drop-in that would explain in-universe why there isn't any new references of something from a human creator in the 22nd century or the 23rd century. Because right. there was a, it seems to be, as Bashir states here, that around 23rd century, all of that seemingly stopped. Right. So I just found that so interesting. And I mean, like, seriously, I stopped and I was like, you know what? I've watched this episode countless times i don't think i've ever actually legitimately paid attention to that opening conversation at all other than the fact that julian was talking and o'brien was stuffing his face um i don't think i'd ever paid attention to it at all but for some reason today when i was watching it it just struck me so as such an obvious explanation for why in all the shows and if you go back and uh, seriously pick any of the shows next generation voyager even discovery they all do it they make references but it's typically like it'll be um it's like a one two three right so they'll make a reference to say um mozart beethoven right or no they'll do like mozart beethoven and then they'll throw out a third and it's an alien reference Right. right okay right 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 and and that's how it'll be. Or, you know, they'll say, you know, the the works of Shakespeare, Hemingway, and third alien, whatever, right? right. Every time. Every time it's dropped out that way. And um, no one really understood why. And I feel like this is a great explanation for why. And it's a good uh, in, in, use, in universe explanation for why. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's a stupid plot hole. Uh, or not, it's, a, it's a stupid plot hole for the other shows, and I love how it was finally filled in this Deep Space Nine episode, and I don't think anybody's ever paid any attention to it. I just, yeah. I just a, happened to hear it. It's a one-off conversation. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's also important, I guess, again, to point out that the reason this conversation is also important is because it's Bashir trying to relate to O'Brien in the way that he's really related to Garrick. Him, the reason he and Garrick seem to enjoy their lunches so much is the arguing over their cultures. And O'Brien, not only is he also a human, so he can't argue Garrick's point of view, but <laughs> O'Brien being O'Brien, he just doesn't care. Doesn't care. <laughs> it's not it's not the thing that he's focused on at all. And I mean we get yeah. we get a little bit of information about O'Brien here when he talks about, you know, his mother. Yes. Um, and and what she how she raised Great him about line. not talking and eating at the yeah. same time. Yeah, if you're ever makes in a conversation with someone and you happen to have food around and you don't want to talk to them, this is a great line. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, man, but my mother once said, you know, you you can only do one thing at a time: either eat or talk or something, whatever the line was. But <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's essentially it. If you yeah, if you try to do them both at the same time, you end up doing neither very well. That's, that's essentially what there she says. So, yeah. Yeah. um. And I love yeah. that O'Brien, like Bashir's like, hey, what did I just say? Did you hear anything I just said? Yes. And what do you think? About what? I don't know. Right. <laughs> about what? About, I don't about know. About what? <laughs> right. It's, it's great. He's like, look, you said you wanted to have lunch. We're having lunch. You know, it's just, it's great. And he's just, <laughs> yeah. and he apparently is just ravenous because the man does not stop eating and he's just shoveling it in, man. Which just is going funny because in the last episode, Bashir was shoveling food in. 
and Garrick was saying something about you know human beings still having a, a fear of loss or you know not having enough and mm-hmm. uh, it would seem that O'Brien is maybe f- fulfilling that prophecy maybe oh, I think Garrick was over too was much. Just over yeah, I think Garrick was just BSing, obviously. Well, Garrick but, uh, might have been a little oversensitive because he was preoccupied. Because as we now know, he wasn't really necessarily interested in lunch that day. He was buying time for the explosion to go off in his shop. Had he not stayed and drawn out the lunch a bit, he would have been in the shop at a probably deeper in the shop when the explosion happened and probably would have ended up hurt. He didn't have a reason to be anywhere else unless he was with the doctor. Because as, right. as we now know, he never went anywhere. Yeah. And when he did go places, he typically was with Dr. Bashir. So if he was anywhere other than his shop when it exploded in the middle of the afternoon, people would have been suspicious as to why he wasn't in the shop. Yeah. So this this is that was what that was. It was less about lunch and more about giving him an alibi. In right. that sense. Now, yeah. in this one, it's very clear that, um, to me, that O'Brien is both very hungry and doesn't care about whatever it is that <laughs> Julian is going on about. Yeah. But I just Those love Those two are an odd couple, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Like, how their friendship actually works. I mean, it's it's clear it that... They just, yeah. they just forced it to work. It has to work by necessity, and so it works by necessity. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just I, I I challenge anybody go back and watch that particular scene and listen to what he says there. Uh, and it's again, it's only like the first three minutes of the episode, but it is such a great explanation for why there is a lack of references to other human creations in that time span. Because that's what people typically ask. It's like. Why is it that we never hear of rock bands or musicians or whatever from the 22nd or the 23rd century or whatever it is? Because obviously Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all being set in the 24th century, um, we have that gap there of time as to what actually happened in those particular centuries. We don't, there's just, there's no show for that. Um, You know, Discovery was, I I would never, I'm not going to say that Discovery was ever going to toe that line, but um, you know that was kind of in there a little bit, mixing things up. But now they've jumped all the way to the 31st, 32nd century, so now we've got an even bigger gap to fill. But this explanation still would work for them, too, as to why now, if all of their references were just alien cultural references, as they're right. trying to catch up on time and why there's nothing, because humans seem to have stopped um, creating new things, which, you know what, you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense, and it tracks with how we are in society today, because I feel that way already. I feel like we don't create new things anymore. Everything is just a constant retelling of the same five or six stories. And we've talked about that here. If I have to watch one more Batman Superman origin story, (laughs) I might lose my mind because we've seen it so many times. But I mean, the retellings of Romeo and Juliet or pretty much any Shakespeare, anything being done, being done again and again. Heck, even this episode had elements of, of Julius Caesar here with, you know, Anabrantane being unable to see that his downfall happened um, from an internal source versus an external one is, yeah. is here, you know? So it's just this constant retelling of the same types of tropes, types of stories, nothing being created. Point out, 
you probably know this, but I'll just go ahead and say it. Yeah. Juliet, Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, was actually a plagiarism by Shakespeare of a, I think, Italian something or other. I don't know if it was an, like an opera over there or whatever. But, like, yeah, he borrowed that story, too. <laughs> so, See? Yeah. Everybody does it. They yeah. and, and we've been doing it. And so mm-hmm. the, the idea that when humanity finally reaches a point that we contact, we have contact with other cultures and they have truly unique stories that are, well, for lack of another better word, truly alien to us, the desire to adapt those stories to uh, 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 our culture would be impossible to ignore. Truly, think about that, truly new, unique, original stories. I, I can't think of a better draw. I'm so tired of re- reboots and remakes and reimaginings, and then them all. It would be different if they were good, but they're all they all seem to fall so short of the original over and over again. They get worse and worse. I mean, heck, you can just look at that Velma travesty on HBO Max right now. That. Yeah, that, yeah, it's just yeah, off. That's like the it's worst off. rated thing ever. Have you watched any right. of it or just seen? No, seen I absolutely yeah. refuse. I've seen yeah. I've seen clips. I've seen yeah. um, I, everything. I've seen the promos. I've seen clips. I've seen when it pops up and they do like you know they try to make you watch like two minutes to entice you yeah. into watching the episode and everything else. Here's the I've first seen two that. minutes of yeah, and it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. I can't stand. At, I can't stand any of it. I, yeah. I making I know fun the of people... other other characters yeah. is not funny. If it's a joke, that's not usually funny. That's Believe the kind me. of humor that went out in you know, well, really the early '90s. Like we stopped doing that stuff then. We recognized it as problematic then. You know, we we yeah. aged out of that. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's a terrible show. It's a terrible <laughs> reimagining. You yeah. know, um, I've seen those same clips. I, yeah, I was gonna mention it, but. Didn't feel like I was like, like that, that's nope. too obvious an example. But yep, nope, no, no, I will, I will say it. They don't even it's have Scooby Doo in it. Come on, it's a Scooby oh, no. show and no oh, Scooby Doo. Oh no, they do, they do have Scooby. Only what? Scooby, yes, Scooby is not a dog. It's a person. In fact, it's not just any person. It is a black female character. And trust me, I've seen all the things and all the outrage about how they I have now changed. Yes, wow. how they've now changed Scooby into this dark black woman with cornrows and tattoos. And I think she's got a... I, I saw the, the picture, and I couldn't tell if it was a tattoo or a scar or whatever it was. But it was awful. And I was like, so you made the dog character a black woman, and you didn't expect backlash on that? I'm sure they haven't heard the end of that. So, um, gotta be kidding and, me. I don't know no. where I was today where I didn't hear about that. I'm gonna oh, be looking that up. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. You you can look that up, you can say whatever you want uh, about it. It's some people might think that that's a cool, unique way to do it. I'm telling you right now, it's not. And yeah. so, I mean, I already wasn't gonna watch the show, but if there was like the nail in the coffin to make sure, that was it. And yeah. so, no, I will not be watching that show, it will not get airtime in my house if I can help it. So Oh, oh wow! Terrible. That was a tangent. We went off on a weird little uh, hey, detour. Hey, there for a no, <laughs> not really. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's actually it's, no, it tied it's into back, your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah it tied in. That yeah, all yeah. we all we do anymore is we retell the same stories. We see the same movies get made over and over again. They talk about this decline in our box office, and you know they blame it on 
you know, not being able to make revenue and, and the movies aren't making the same money they used to be making 30, 40 years ago. And it's like, well, because y'all keep telling the same Thor stories over and over again. And now it's starting to leak even into television. The number of shows that now that ended 30 years ago, and now you're rebooting them. And it's, it's, there's not, there's nothing there. There's no reason to do a reboot of that particular show. You're not giving me something new here. It would be different if it was a continuation of the show. I would like that. Um, I, and for a reference on that, like, um, I was a big Frasier fan and that show ended 20, 30 years ago, you know, and they're talking about bringing that show back. And it's everything from, uh, from what I've heard from a reboot to a continuation. I hope that it's a continuation of the storyline. That would at least be a little bit more palatable than uh, uh, thinking of it as a reboot of the, of that show. That show was great as it was trying to redo it makes no sense to me. Just either continue it or don't do it. I know we've already uh, talked about the show Bel Air, but they're in, doing season two of that one. You know that the grittier reboot of the, the and I have the Will Smith comedy, yeah, yeah, and I have no desire to watch it at all. It was a situational family comedy show in the '90s. Why are you trying to make a grittier, darker version of that show? That makes no sense to me. Like, right. j- just I'm just that's all I'm gonna say about it. It makes no sense to me. I'm so tired of that, and I think a lot of people are tired of it. And we would like to see truly new content come out and not the same one note everybody's a sexy something or another with unrealistic issues garbage all right give me something else um i say that as i also am sitting here doing a podcast about a show that ended 30 years ago that i'm still obsessing over so thy name is yes. self. <laughs> hey, I am I am well aware of my flaws. All right. I'm well aware of my flaws. Right. I'm not in any way saying I'm a perfect person. Right. I'm just saying if you want my money, give me something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did well, there were two other small little scenes I wanted yes. to just hit up. I just I like the scene where Cisco Kira gets up. She's O'Brien's fixing stuff of the, the, the cloaking device. She gets up and Cisco stops her and says, What are you doing? You gonna go help O'Brien? And she's like, "No." And he's like, "Yes, you are." And he's like, "Ah." And he's like, "If O'Brien needed us, he'd ask for us. You just get in his way. Just sit down." Like, I like the fact that he knows both of them so well that he knows exactly what Kira's getting up to do, and he knows that O'Brien, if he needs help, he's gonna ask for it. So stay out of his way. Let him do his thing. And like, don't harass him. Don't be like, "Where's, where's my cloaking device?" You know, right. he's, he's on it. Um, great little scene. And then finally, that final scene at the end with uh, Odo. It was greatly shot, too. We didn't mention that it's shot with Odo completely in the mirror in the background. So, yes, uh, you're right. Yeah. We did not mention. Did not yeah, mention. So Garrett goes into his blown-up shop. He wipes off the mirror. Uh, and Odo is kind of hard to see. He's basically a voice. Just You can see the mirror, but he's basically hard to see. And they have like a whole conversation, part of which is you know uh, Odo saying... You know, we got to, you know, Cork wasn't in these episodes. You know, Cork wants no. to open up a shop here, um, but we think we should put a, a tailor shop would be good here. And Garrick says, you know, the sad thing is I'm actually a very good tailor. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's it's two outcasts. If we think about it, Odo is outcast from the other changelings. Garrick is an outcast from the Cardassians. And we got to see them bond in this episode, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic because Garrick has been an interesting character, but he's been... He's been Bashir's sidekick this whole time, 
and the fact that Odo was the one that helped bring about some new elements of Garrick's character was great. We got to see more things about uh, Odo as well. And I also want to quickly say that I, uh, going back to the whole uh, changeling was embedded in the Cardassian-Romulan alliance. If the Cardassians and Romulans didn't know, like if, if, if Odo is the only changeling they've ever seen, and they think that that's as good as he could get to conform himself to, hu to a humanoid likeness, then it's understandable that they would think that they didn't have anyone in their midst. So I do think it's reasonable to, for them to assume that they didn't have any you know, saboteurs amongst them. But for them to be wrong, and the changelings that are actually more advanced know how to do it. And so I liked that. They didn't ever say that. I wish they had kind of said, well, look, Odo here. I mean, anyone could see that mm. coming from a mile off. Like, um, if they had made a comment like that, that would have been... You, you thinking something? I'm going to disagree with you. Because yeah. we know from the episode Second Skin where Kira was made to look like a Cardassian, that the Cardassians are very much aware of the ability for people to physically alter their appearance true. and be That's sleeper a and be sleeper agents. So that yes. does not give them a pass because they've done it. They've done That's it themselves. Right. So ah. It's once well, it's once again their arrogance because they believe that while they can do it to others, no one can no do, one it, can to do them. it to them, and that's well, guess, why they fail. Even if that's true, which I think you're right, even if that's true, I guess the only other thing I'm just the, just to back up the point is that if they didn't think the changelings would be any more sophisticated than Odo was, then it's still hubris on their part, but it's an understandable hubris, at least an explainable hubris mm -hmm. uh, in terms of storytelling. But they didn't do that. Even though I expected something to happen, but other than that, I've I think I've had everything to say on this episode. It was okay. a good one. It had action. Learned from Garrick. Learned about Odo. And Aubertain is dead. All kinds of fascinating future um, conflicts to look forward to. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Now, of course, before we end this episode, just real quick, we are on the countdown to the third and final season of Star Trek Picard. It airs on February 16th, just a couple days after Valentine's Day. So settle in and get ready to watch the episode. If you have not caught up with that show yet, I strongly advise that you do. Regardless of what you've heard about the other two seasons, you will need to watch those in order to really enjoy season three, so they say. Um... There's a bunch of stuff out there about potential spinoffs and even a potential continuation just without Patrick Stewart. None of that has been confirmed at all. So don't, if you've heard any of it, don't buy into it. Don't start looking at it. Just come here because that's what I do in my spare time. And I will tell you what I found that is as accurate as I can possibly make it. I promise. You can also check out a lot of this stuff and keep those updates coming to you if you subscribe and follow us on either Facebook or Twitter because I post stuff there about these things frequently. And again, I promise it's just Trek and sci-fi related stuff. I don't do any other commentary about culture or religion or politics or any of that stuff. It is it is 100% sci-fi all the time. So if you're looking for a place also to escape all of that, you're tired of the political scene of whatever side it is that you fall on, um, and you just want to kind of get lost in inane conversations and polls and whatever else about Trek and other sci-fi stuff, come find us at The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. And you can also listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. So... Until next week, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>